The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Man, it's a pleasure, because we got a great show. We got so much fantastic stuff, and you're going to get it all delivered to you by an incredibly sleep-deprived new dad who's got carpal tunnel from changing diapers all day. Man, it's great to be here with you. Let me, uh, Producer Lauren, let's just... Pop in here real quick. Let's chat. Let's talk. Let's talk. Sure. How you doing, Ryan? I am doing so well. It is lovely to be chatting with you, Lauren. I have heard through the grapevine, a little birdie told me, and that birdie was you before the show started, (laughs) told me Uh that you're going to be going to Halloween Horror Nights. Is that this weekend you're doing that? Yep. This is opening weekend of Halloween Horror Nights. That's Um, why it's so early. It is. I can't believe I guess it is kind of the Halloween creep is real. (laughs) <laughs> I gotta say, you I mean for the for the non-Floridians or at least non-Southeasterners out there, this is Universal Studios in Orlando turned into like a giant haunted house. And There's I was like a lot of haunted houses. Yeah, it's just multiple haunted. haunted the whole yeah. park is haunted. But <laughs> I will say you you're braver than I. I have done the Halloween horror nights. I don't think I will ever go back. Really? Because all right, here's the thing. Because I know, as I said, that I can already hear the viewers and listeners like <laughs> snickering, like, oh, what a wuss. Oh, big tough guy. He's definitely going to raise a tough son because he's afraid of, you know, a bunch of fake characters or characters, as you called them earlier. Yes, they're scary. In a theme park. But let me tell you something, all right? Lest you people come down on me for being a big old Frady cat. Two things. First of all, I'm a grown man. I don't need, like, anybody's <laughs> validation, like. I'm a Frady cat. Who cares? Secondly, and this is an important point, and this is something that people in my demographic will understand, okay? okay? Not all participants in Halloween Horror Nights or really any haunted house experience are treated the same, okay? Of all, the, if we're going to take all the different kinds of demographics that go into a haunted something, okay? Little children, you're not going to scare the crap out of little children. You don't want to make a little child cry. Generally, and it's it's sexist, but it's the way it is, I think you don't come down on women at these parks as much Uh. as you do the guys because you don't want to make women cry. But old adult men, we get the brunt of it, especially when I went. Because when I went, (laughs) I went with my girlfriend at the time, and those people, those bastards at these theme parks they love nothing more than to scare the crap out of a guy that has his girlfriend next to him like oh there's somebody we can totally uh you know make look bad in front of his girlfriend chainsaw um and so yeah i get like the 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 scary dudes with the chainsaw and i know there's no chain on the saw you don't have to worry it's the sound man and they come behind you and it's scary yeah, and they're not allowed to touch you, which everybody's like, oh, they jumped out and attacked me. I'm like, no one has ever touched you at one of these barks. They can't do it. Though I did hear they, they tend can to touch target your you too. The, exactly. They, they tell you, you know, they target the people who they've seen reacting, right? So they're all staking it out. And if they get a reaction out of someone, they're all honing in on that person because they're like, ooh, this is going to be a good one. So if you've got a girl that squeals or, you know, like those people are getting attacked all night and you'll hear it. (laughs) That's me. I'm a squealer. I'm an emotional (laughs) cat. I'm still getting people making fun of me on Twitter for how completely unreasonably uh, worked up I got when Martin Mayer last week got me to sing the song on again on the show and i was like no i don't want to do it uh. and i got made fun of because like that's who i am i'm an animated person and that's the person you want doing this podcast so don't make fun of me if i get scared by the fake chainsaw guy at halloween horror nights no, that's like all i'm it. saying i like walking around behind those people like the person that i'm going with he 
he's the best person to go into one of these places with because he's a true fan. Like, not only does he know everything, but there's this combo of fear than pure enjoyment. So you'll get this like, ah! <laughs> and I'm like, what was that? <laughs> so I'll like walk the entire park with this like, terror, this is awesome. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to watch you the entire night. <laughs> Can you give me that sound again of the, of the fright plus laughter? I, I need a bottle. <laughs> okay, I am I going with that person? That seems like a fun person to go to a haunted so house with. So much fun. Like, I go in and look at the scenic design and the costumes, and I'm I'm totally the person who takes all the fun out of something like Horror Nights. But I get to enjoy it vicariously through someone like that, and I'm like, oh, this is why they build it. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren... Uh, this week's show. Okay. Before, at least until we, at least for this first segment, is a a show of callbacks. We have a lot of callbacks Ooh. that we wanted to bring up from prior shows before we, uh, before we get to our guest who in the next segment is going to be popping in. Jeff Hilliard, a terrific comedian, makes a great musician, makes these really cool, really ambitious comedic music videos, mm-hmm. kind of like rivaling like Al Yankovic in terms of the production value of these things. And we're going to be talking to him in the next segment about how he puts these cool videos together and, and uh, how they're so well done and how the songs are so great. So stick around for that. Speaking of Al Yankovic, he's on my mind right now, Lauren, because when is one of he our, not, Ryan? that's so true actually. <laughs> but one of our first callbacks that I want to talk about is you know, a few months ago on the podcast, we had first announced that, Roku was going to be releasing the Weird Al Yankovic biopic starring Daniel Radcliffe. And for a while, all that we had was a poster of the movie. Mm-hmm. But now, finally, we've been given the trailer yes. to uh, what's it called? Weird colon the Al Yankovic story. And frankly, if your biopic doesn't have a colon in it, I think there's something wrong with you. It's got to have the colon. <laughs> and this one does. Weird colon the Al Yankovic story. We can tell from the trailer. If you haven't seen it, I, I recommend you check it out. It's clear that this isn't going to be a dutiful, true-to-life biopic of Al Yankovic. It's much like most of the things Al Yankovic does. It is a parody. And Daniel Radcliffe looks nothing like Al Yankovic, but that's okay, and we love him. You, you, you Show me the, the picture that we have of this that we can show it to everybody. This is from Variety. So Daniel Radcliffe doesn't look anything like Al Yankovic. It looks like Harry Potter with a curly wig and a mustache. But look how much, Lauren, Evan Rachel Wood looks exactly like 1980s Madonna. It is uncanny. And it makes me so happy. Like, I want to go see the show just because, like, that takes me back to my childhood and, like, wonderful, entertaining music that was Oh, I forgot. You're like a big Madonna head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love her. (laughs) She can do no wrong because she, anything that anyone considers wrong, she just owns it. And I loved that about her. She was just kind of like, yeah, okay, and? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. I love her. I distinctly remember this would have been like me in ninth grade and you in 11th grade when you drove me to school. We went to the same high school. You drove me to school every day. Mm-hmm. And all you had in your CD player was, was the Immaculate the Collection. Immaculate collection. Yep. <laughs> so I like against my will, I now have like the same 13 Madonna songs memorized from listening to them consecutively for a 180 day school year. Like I got, mm-hmm. I can do Lies La Bonita like straight through from yeah. memory. It's, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, the first thing I thought of was just like, oh my God, Evan Rachel Wood looks so much like Madonna so in this. Much. And Is I that can't just wait like to a still this. shot like that? I haven't seen the whole, I saw it in the distance, but I haven't like watched the intro intro does she i mean we haven't she's seen got the it down yet, but she's got it the voice the mannerisms it's really something to behold you get rain wilson as dr demento and that's pretty entertaining as well just just fantastic we got another trailer that is okay. a callback to a prior episode uh, the loyal viewers and listeners of break the business might remember a few months back when we had announced that they were making a movie version a horror movie version of winnie the pooh called winnie the pooh blood and honey because you. and you're probably saying like why how would they how would disney ever allow winnie the pooh to get made into a horror movie and the answer is there's nothing they can do about it winnie the pooh is entering the public domain or i believe public entered domain. the public domain this year and so now that character is free to be thrown into whatever movie 
these crazy people can think of. And uh, one person had the idea of, how about a horror slasher flick with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet? And we saw a still image from that a few months back. Do you have that image again? Can you pull it up? I do, but I don't want it's to. It's so scary. Absolute nightmare fuel. But so at I the get time, it, but why are you intentionally trying to kill children's like dreams? Like that was something that was just happy. Like not again, like I was mentioning before, the animatrons were like they were kind of creepy even when we were kids. But Winnie the Pooh was not creepy. No. Like I was not freaked out by him and it needed to be turned into a horror film. Like you're intentionally trying to make something awesome creepy. Uh, I, I was all for this. When we first broke this story <laughs> a few months ago, I'm a huge public domain advocate. I've gone on record saying that copyright duration should be a lot shorter than they are. Mm -hmm. Great art builds upon the work that came before it. If you want great art, you need to let the prior art get into the public domain sooner. Mm -hmm. And so I generally celebrate when things get into the public domain. But then I saw the trailer for this movie that came out this week. And Lauren... I think we need permanent copyrights now. I think we need perpetual copyrights now. That film, Lauren, I saw Winnie the Pooh snap a teenage girl's neck like a twig. Why? Because, because, because Christopher, because the premise of this movie is that Christopher Robin like left Winnie the Pooh in Hundred Acre Wood, and he went, and Winnie the Pooh went feral and wild and became a serial killer, and so this whole movie is Winnie the Pooh and Piglet going on a killing rampage. Just like massacring people. It is the that is frightening. But we're leaving canon now, okay? Because we've already watched the follow-up movie where Christopher Robin left Winnie the Pooh in the woods and he came out looking for him in the big city and came back and they had to find all the lost <laughs> little characters that were no longer there because he had been left. Like we've already gotten this part of the story. So now how come he's going psycho and uh, killing all the children i'm with you it is really hard to reconcile the ewan mcgregor movie that came out recently with <laughs> yeah. winnie the pooh which is sort of one twist on oh what happened when christopher robin forgot about winnie the pooh with this other version where christopher robin forgets about winnie the pooh so long that winnie the pooh and piglet become feral sadistic serial killers and the trailer is legit horrifying like I don't think we should have a public domain anymore. You people clearly can't be trusted with it. All of y'all, you're on notice. Ugh. See, and like, I'm going, oh gosh, this is terrible. And then my brain's like, so this weekend I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights. How long do you think it's going to be before Pooh and Piglet make their way into a house? <laughs> like, I'm going to officially be the character of <laughs> Demon Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And now my so just for the record, we're recording this at the end of August and covering a whole lot of Halloween horror. Just putting that it's Halloween there. creep. It just it, every like <laughs> in 10 years when we're doing this podcast, we're going to be breaking down Halloween in February. That's how this works. <sighs> the callback of the callbacks that I'm most excited about is actually a live human that we get to talk to. A few months ago, we got we got to hang out with one of my favorite people in the music industry, Bill Bolden now professionally is down upright. And I basically told Bill, and I've been telling Bill for years, whenever you have anything going on, come by and talk to us about it because the stuff you do is so interesting and indie creators can learn so much from it that you just have a standing invitation, door wide open. Whatever segments we have planned, we're tossing them aside because we want to talk to you. And this week is no exception. Let's bring Bill out. Bill, how are you? We get a phone call and we say, come on. That's in. exactly right. Hello, thank you so much for having me, Ryan and Lauren. Excited to be talking to you again. For the uninitiated, Bill is a Buffalo-based DJ, producer, and tech entrepreneur. Their latest project is, and I love the way you title these things, Bill, We're Doomed, We're Dancing. It is a 60-song album of tracks that changes genres and vocalists every 60 seconds. It's going to feature the performances of over 40 collaborators. You are currently about to start a Kickstarter campaign for this album, and you all can find out more about it by visiting tinyurl.com slash downupright. One of my favorite things to ask you whenever you get one of these new projects, because they're all so interesting and not like what anyone else is doing, is how did you come up with this? So for We're Doomed, We're Dancing, how did you come up with this? Well, it came from a couple places. Um, one is I used to have a stunt I did as a DJ called the Lightning Mix, where I would see how many songs I could mix in one hour. And my record was somewhere around 70. 
uh, 70 songs crammed into one hour. And so that kind of got me in the habit of thinking about moving through tracks very quickly. The other thing I was noticing was that my average track length of the tracks I produce kept coming down and down. Like EDM already is sort of a stretch where you sort of do a verse and then, and then a drop. Um, and then you've sort of done it already and you're obligated because of EDM rules to kind of do the verse again and then do the drop, but slightly different. But it's like, what if you took away all the pretense? What if you just made your point and got out of the way? And so my songs were beginning to go down from four minutes to three minutes to two minutes. And so I began to see the one minute frontier as a new uh, <laughs> as a new frontier. goal. Like, how can I make my point in 60 seconds, get off it, and then get on to a different genre for a change of pace? And the idea that, but it's not just you with every track because you're bringing in all these different collaborators. So every 60 seconds, you are sort, it's almost like whiplash, like just a completely new experience for the listener from one track to another. And it, it's, it's crazy fast pace. I've been working on some of these transitions and you'll be able to hear them when the Kickstarter goes live on Tuesday. There's a whole bunch of sample transitions in the pitch video. But you can be listening to a soul song, and all of a sudden, ew, 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 now it's bam, it's a classic rock song, just like that. And there's somebody else singing, and it's like a brand new classic rock production. And then, boo it, boo it, boo it, now it's dubstep. And it works. You know, that's the amazing thing about it is that it all works. Well, if you're doing it, I'm inclined to think it works. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you about Kickstarter and how you always seem to like to come back to it as your platform of choice, not just for fundraising for your albums, because I get the, I get the vibe that you tend to see Kickstarter, not just as a fundraising tool, but as a marketing tool, the, the Kickstarter campaign for you raises awareness for the project. It gets people excited about it. It builds momentum towards your goals. And as, as I see a lot of creators, almost forgetting about Kickstarter because it's been around for a while and there are other crowdfunding platforms that exist. You stay loyal to it and you seem to get a lot out of it. So talk a little bit about why you like Kickstarter and uh, you know what, what you get of using this platform. Well, the way I like to think about it is that there's three Kickstarters I've done, of which We're Doomed, We're Dancing is the third now, and we'll see how that goes. But the first two were explorations of what's possible by releasing music that's bigger than the box. So a lot of music Kickstarters are an exchange of money for a promise of digital or physical media. Hey, we're trying to raise $10,000 to make our album. When you back, you are going to get a vinyl copy of the album. Okay, that's all well and good. But I look for things that the Kickstarter as the medium can become part of the message and part of the product. Like with my old project, Music to Die Alone in Space 2, which is back from when I used to be Spruik, where I was able to raise $25,000 on the premise of an album that would be re-recorded individually for every person who purchased it. Right. That, that is only cool. possible in the context of a Kickstarter because you need to collect all those pre-orders and see ahead of time, get this massive sunk cost for all the time you're going to be spending recording all the copies. It really isn't possible without a Kickstarter. You can't just go release Music to Die Alone in Space 2 on Spotify. Um, it had to be the way it was. And now with We're Doomed, We're Dancing, the hook is that it's actually going to be a very democratic project. Um, all the backers are going to be involved in polls and surveys determining what genres things head into next. Mm -hmm. So I'll put up a track and say, here's one of the tracks from the album. What happens next? Y'all vote on it. And if y'all tell me to make uh, a reggaeton track, it's going to be reggaeton. And if y'all tell me to make a vaporwave track, it's going to be vaporwave. If y'all tell me to make a nightcore track, it's going to be nightcore. I I lead where the crowd follows. And I so it's going to be a democratically produced album. You are putting a lot of faith in the internet. <laughs> this is the same internet that like when they do a poll being like, name what we're going to call this boat. And 90% of the audience says Bodie McBoatface. 
These are the people that you are entrusting for the musical curation of your album. You're going to get 60 minutes of Gregorian chant. No, he's going to get Dancy McDance mix because people are going to do whatever they want. Uh, I can't wait to see where it leads. Uh, Probably the coolest thing, and again, something that's only possible on Kickstarter, is there's a tier called the co-pilot tier where you get to sit in a Zoom with me and set the theme and title and genre for one of the 60 tracks yourself. So you can actually come away with a sense of ownership, like that track 23 is the track that I had the idea for. And I'm going to need your help drawing up a release for that. Because they are the collaboration <laughs> on they go, are they collaborators? Right? Um, happy to help. I mean, what what a what a sweet gig to you know be a part even in a small way in one of these projects. This is cool. I I'm hoping that as people listen to this, Bill, that some of these young artists that think they got everything figured out and there's nothing that the platforms of old can do for them, I'm thinking some of them might come back to our good old friend Kickstarter. You know, which has been, you know, perhaps the the millennial platform of choice for a lot of great uh, artists. So for those viewers and listeners who are like, I like this as a fundraising platform. I want to learn more about Kickstarter and maybe learn how to be great at it. Do you have any advice for the uninitiated on how to create a good Kickstarter campaign? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely do. Uh, first, have your idea marinating for a while before you launch because all eyes are on you and there's no going back. So um, I struggle sometimes with uh, mood swings. And one of my rules for when I'm having a mood swing is no launching Kickstarters, no having the (laughs) next big idea. Uh, I need to work on something consistently for about six months and really have the capacity to have been steadily interested for about six solid months. Then you have to figure out what your hook is. Why is it different than give us 10 grand and we will ship you a vinyl. You know, what's the hook? What are you doing differently? Because it's a Kickstarter. Um, A great example is this, uh, this band rainbow kittens did a Kickstarter called Gumbotron that was composed. I love everything about it so far. (laughs) Yeah. Rainbow kittens and Gumbotron. The, um, it was an album composed entirely out of samples provided by the backers. So when you backed this Kickstarter, you also got to contribute a sample of you beatboxing or singing or belching or something. And the uh, (laughs) the album is, in the end, made out of all those samples. It's really performance art um, in a way. The medium is the message. Yeah, I think so. There's something you've really taught me, Bill, is Kickstarter works at its best when it's you when you see it transcend a mere fun as a mere fundraising platform and see it as a marketing platform or in your case part of the actual medium and the deliverable the mechanism by which you help to create and curate these projects when it can reach that purpose you're you're really creating like an art through your kickstarter yeah it's it's uh not separable from the art that is created you know music to die alone in space two couldn't have been a conventional album uh nor could pieces and we're doomed we're dancing is sort of really an experiment in a democratic music project and yes i fully expect to get trolled um (laughs) but the the real challenge is i will i will make lemonade out of lemons trust me it's i i can mix almost anything if I have to. <laughs> I'll find a way to make those Gregorian chants flow directly into Terror Core. I feel like, you know what, you know what, Lauren, let's make a note, Break the Business needs to kick Bill some funding so we can get our Gregorian chant song in there. Heck yeah. So <laughs> do, do I want to ask, what is the tier to get to set sit down with you and be your uh, co-creator on a song to help you pick the genre and the, all that stuff? What is that tier? That tier is called the co-pilot tier, and it is okay. $100. $100 to be on his album with You him. know, might be might be <laughs> worth it for- We might to... pick our Break the Business track. We can handle that. Absolutely. Of course. That's, man, that's so, so cool. So let's talk about the budgeting on a Kickstarter, because I think this is where 
there's so much uh, maneuvering that has to take place. It could be kind of a tricky game. So let's say you're one of these artists that's actually trying to fully fund their album or whatever their project, their thing is on Kickstarter. Like you don't necessarily do that. Sometimes, you know, you, you self fund some of it and you only need a portion of it from the campaign. But for an artist that's looking to like really fund everything from the Kickstarter campaign, it's a tricky game because if you set that number too high, you don't reach your funding goal and then you get nothing. But if you set that number too low, you get the opposite problem, which is now you have to fund something and you may not have enough money to fund it. So do you have any advice on how somebody can effectively budget? Uh, maybe with the idea that, like, for one thing, you're not going to want to just budget the cost of the thing in there. Maybe you also want to budget the cost to, say, fulfill your prizes to your backers. Yes. Um, so uh, you can use what are called stretch goals. And mm -hmm. you can use uh, add-ons. So when a person backs, they can choose that they want the cassette and the vinyl. And then you have a stretch goal where that unlocks. So once I've raised $6,000, that unlocks the vinyl tier. Because uh, the, a minimum vinyl run of like 100 or 200 vinyls, which is the smallest you can go, is going to be about two grand. So mm -hmm. you need to comfortably get past that two grand mark to start getting, you know, unlocking the vinyl tier. Uh, you also have to take into account legal costs um, because you need a talented lawyer. Uh, I happen to know one who can uh, draw up the crazy releases you'll need for all the different artists you're going to be involving and copyright your finished work. Kickstarter itself takes a 5% fee of the finished total. Um, and you got to make that in there too. And then there's marketing costs because, you know, the, the whole idea of this is I want it to succeed. So I've set a goal for We're Doomed, We're Dancing of $1,000 because if I can get $1,000 worth of people interested, I'm doing this. It's worth doing. And I'll, you know, eat the rest of the costs that I'm paying my collaborators and buying vocalists and buying guitarists. Um I've, I've always self-funded my music, but if I can make, you know, a couple thousand dollars, then that justifies um, bringing in some bigger names, getting more ambitious with the featured artists. Um, and it helps justify a little marketing spend. Cause if I'm, if I get past a few thousand dollars, maybe I can buy an Instagram ad campaign where I can show everybody a sample video of what the project is going to be. And, get more interest that way where people are like, Oh, I heard this now I'm interested. Um, and then that can be get more money. So you really have to get all your ducks in a row. Um, but it's just unpredictable. I never expected music to die alone in space to, to sell 310 copies, uh, of individually recorded albums. And it was a runaway success, you know, that I was, um, only partially able to replicate with my second Kickstarter pieces. So will this raise a thousand dollars? Will it raise ten thousand? Um, I'm I'm just here for the ride. Right on. As are all of the folks viewing and listening right now. I encourage y'all to check out tinyurl.com slash down upright. You can check out the Kickstarter as soon as it goes live. Do we have the go live date yet or is that still under wraps? No, it goes live uh tuesday september 6th outstanding looking forward to it so by the time most folks hear this it will be uh almost up and running uh, it'll be up and running later in the week excited for it whenever i get a chance to have you on bill um i i know it is woefully underutilizing you if i don't also take the opportunity to talk to you a bit about just the business and tech side of this industry because it's it, you know, I'm sort of tech illiterate about these things, so I know I can count on folks like you. Last time we had you on the show a few months ago, we had you talk a bit about your thoughts on NFTs in the music yeah. business. Six months ago, NFTs were all the rage. People had these were very bullish on what it could mean for the industry. And I think there are still plenty of people who are bullish about NFTs in music, but we are starting to see a little bit of backlash as well. There are... There have been companies emerging that are basically just infringing folks' copyrights, taking artists' music, 
stealing their likenesses and then just saying, you know, and thinking it's all okay if they call it an NFT. And, I, I, you know, there's a bunch of apes out there. I don't know what they do, but it seems like they're these apes and they're and you, and they and they're worth $300,000 and then, then your ape is worth like 10 cents. And so now that there's been kind of six months and we're seeing like different views emerge about NFTs, wanted to come back and see what, what you're thinking of the current NFT landscape in music right now. So I'm in the same place I was six months ago, which is bearish, because I still do not see a strong value proposition for the listener and the consumer, other than being able to point at a plaque on the wall and say, I own that for some value of the word own, um, which is the problem with NFTs in their present form. They're a fascinating database concept, and I can actually see a lot of uses, especially in fintech where I think it's going to, for instance, revolutionize the debt servicing industry, um, trading around people's debt like an NFT uh, probably doesn't lead to good things, probably leads to bad things, but um, those those are an excellent use case for NFTs. In this case, I still can't see demonstrated value to the listener where a person who wants to listen to your music and hear a song can say, now because it's an NFT, I can also XYZ with it. Hmm. We still haven't turned over that rock yet. And I'll be the first to admit that uh I'll be the first to admit that we just may not have thought of it yet. Because if the if the unlockable is like now you get parts of the royalties to that song or now you get um the ability to unlock it as a custom victory music in Fortnite or something then then the benefits there but until until there's more than just this nebulous ownership concept it's it's not really being demanded by the listeners yet i'm with you on this there i do see the potential if not in just nfts in the abstract but say blockchain and what it could mean in the legal space about creating smart contracts and getting royalties paid out faster to artists and if you can attach the NFT to some kind of value add, like concert tickets or exclusive meet and greets or things like that, my fear is that so many of these bad actors who've gotten into the music NFT space are going to poison the well so bad that we may never get to the stuff where blockchain, NFT, that kind of stuff can actually create real value for musicians and music fans in the industry. And so I'm hoping we can kind of sweep away this dreck and get to the good stuff about what this technology and what these innovations can provide for all of us. Yeah. I think that we have to get away from the era of rug pulls before we can seriously talk about ways this could transform music. Uh, right now, if you look at an industry and say 95% of it is scams, that really is sort of a death sentence for the remaining 5% that isn't mm. scams and is legitimate because they're in such poor company. Then sleep with dogs, wake up with fleas, they say. Yeah. Um, so we we need to rehabilitate the industry. And I don't know if it will take to that and if the scammers will stop coming. Uh, if it can, maybe we find the golden ticket for a way NFT truly does benefit the listener down the road. But um, right now, I'm, I'm still bearish. Our guest is Bill Down Upright Bolden. Check out Bill's upcoming Kickstarter project for the album We're Doomed, We're Dancing by visiting tinyurl.com slash down upright. Bill, before we let you go, let me just ask you this quick one before we go to break here. You got any last tips for the indie creators out there to help move their careers forward? Uh, think outside the box. You know, there's the current figure is over 60,000 tracks are uploaded to Spotify every day. Oh. It's hard to stand out. If you can be more than the music, if you can offer people a chance to be part of a project that's bigger than just a song or an album, you can really stand out and make a name for yourself. Love it. Bill, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. We'll be right back on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, 
and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Thank you for checking us out, wherever you're checking us out. There's so many places to check us out. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's probably too many places to check us out. But one of those places is Sirius XM 145, and we are very happy for that place. They have been very, very kind to us. Thank you, Slam Radio. Also, you can check us out on all major podcast platforms, all the streaming platforms, and wherever you're checking us out, whatever your platform of choice, we are happy to have you here. Ah, you know what? I- I'm I'm getting excited for football season. Can I just say that? Since Slam Radio is mainly a sports talk radio station, I, I- I'll do a little-, little obligatory sports talk here. I'm very excited for football season. University of Miami football starts this Saturday. As I bring this up, we're playing Bethune-Cookman. That's probably a W, but I'm just excited for football and what it means. And I'm thinking a lot about football because we're actually going to be joined next week by Mike Ryan Ruiz of the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gatz. You all might remember, you loyal listeners, about five months ago, we had JT Daly on the show to talk about The Big Game. That was an album that he worked on with the Dan Lebitard Show, a musical theater album about the Super Bowl featuring all the hosts of the Dan Lebitard Show. And now Mike Ryan Ruiz, the executive producer of that show of Metal Lark Media, is going to come by next week for a drop-in to tell us more about the project and the fact that they're going to submit it for the Grammy Awards. That's pretty cool. We've had already two Grammy winners on Break the Business Historically. Love to have a third. That'd be pretty cool. All right. Speaking of stuff that's pretty cool, I'm excited for this guest. He is an actor, recording artist, and Second City-trained comedian who is well-known for his satirical and controversial music videos. His latest hair metal-inspired video, Abandon, is available now on YouTube, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.jeffhilliard.tv. We are happy to welcome Jeff Hilliard on to Break the Business. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Excited to be chatting with you. Doing great, feeling great. I have been spending the good part of the week, just equal parts, just laughing and being blown away by your music video catalog, oh, wow. Jeff. Thank Excited you. to talk to you all about your projects. But first, kind of want to know about this Second City background that you uh, work oh. on. I know, Lauren, you're a big fan of Second City up in Chicago. And obviously some of the great comedic minds coming out of there. Do you have any cool Second City stories? I mean, I don't. I Okay, so... There was a confusion in an interview. I went, I did Second City in Los Angeles. I went to their conservatory in 1999. It was the first year. Uh, Derek Waters, who did Drunk History, was there the same time I was. Walker Wheeler Jr., who's Ben Hoffman, who had the Ben Hoffman show. He does a satirical country act. Uh, this guy, Simon, who's on that massive show, uh, Big Bang Theory. I can't remember his last name right now. There's a bunch Helberg. of bunch Simon of people. Yes, he's brilliant, hilarious. There's a ton of people that I did Second City with. Uh, I used to, I was a stand-up comic as well. I did that for about eight years. Uh, so I've worked with every comedian you can imagine way back in the day. And then uh, I don't know if I have any, like, there's nothing, like, real crazy. I just, I had really cool teachers. We did a bunch of shows. I did it for a couple of years. And uh, 
it was a really wonderful experience. And then I've been doing the same nonsense. It's kind of what, I, as a child, that's what I was doing anyway. I'd go to school doing weird characters every day as a as a weirdo because I either wanted to be on Saturday Night Live or be in Van Halen, and uh, that's where we're at now. Just so you just kind of took your two big childhood dreams, threw them in like uh, you know a salad shaker, and and now you are where you are making these kind of SNL style. Uh, yes. really well done music videos. Because here's the thing. There are plenty of folks online who are making music videos with comedic elements. That is well-trotted right. ground. But what I tell people kind of separates Jeff Hilliard is how ambitious your video projects are. I was, you know, the one for Abandon that you have coming out or the video you made for the song Consensual. Thank you. These things are really ambitious productions the production values the the actors you're bringing in the lighting the set the production design these are pretty serious video projects they're basically short films right and you know kind of what what sort of drove you to not to create something that isn't just a good song or isn't just a video but kind of a film quality comedy music video uh you know years ago I was waiting for technology to get to a point where I could make something look like a, a cinematic film. And, and uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do a long time ago. I wanted to do, you know, comedy, people wouldn't put a lot into art direction and stuff. And uh, so I'm actually, I'm a director. I directed all of these and, and then I'm, I'm kind of doing the whole thing. I'm art directing them. Uh, I wanted to do stuff that's way better than a, a, a label, a music label would do. I want to yeah. do something better than, I want people to watch one of my videos and their head literally explodes. That's the goal. And so yeah, they are ambitious, but the thing is I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make like evergreen uh, material, a, a thing that, uh, you know, 20 years from now, someone will look at it and be like, wow, it'll help it'll age well. And I think it's a responsibility as a creator, as an artist or whatever you want to call yourself is if you're going to have someone's attention, blow them away. So I've always tried to make the best quality thing I could. If it sometimes it would take me a year to make one of these opposed to the life of just put out as much content as you can posting like what you eat every day or, or what have you. I'm trying to make art, I guess I'm kind of, I, a would, nerd. I would agree with your assessment that these are better. Your videos are better in terms of the quality than what you would see produced even by a major record label. What it kind of reminds me of right. in terms of the ambition in the production design is the way that they used to make music videos yes. in the 90s. Like back yes. when the budgets were just stratospherically high, right. you know, you, you, like Michael Jackson would get like a million dollars to right. make the Scream music video or something like that. These days, if an artist wants to put 150K into a music video, you better be Justin Bieber right. because like the, the budgets oh, are smaller. They yeah. do, his videos are like, you know, a million dollars. Their big artists are huge. So my goal is to make something better with them on a fraction of what they made it for. So like the consensual video cost me like $20,000. Some of what? my videos. Yeah, exactly. It's my go fuck yourself. Sorry for the language to all of Hollywood. And I'm doing stuff better than they could ever dream of. I'm sorry if I'm coming across like a, an arrogant, crazy person, but I live in the land of fevered egos and people making the lamest, terrible stuff ever, the most bloated things you've ever seen, that you're actually insulted. You're like, why am I witnessing this? So my goal is to, like a Michael Jordan, and I'm just like dunking on all of them in, in, a, in a nice fashion. Jeff, I when you tell me, <laughs> Jeff, when you, when you tell me that you made the consensual music video for twenty thousand dollars, I right. literally don't believe you. It's you insane. fought a dragon in that video, right. Jeff. Well, that that video with the special effects, I worked with this brilliant uh, uh, guy who co-directed with me. His name's Joey Danger, and he's a special effects wizard. And that video would have cost you know me like three hundred fifty thousand dollars to make. Uh, he's getting he's doing a film a, fe a feature film he's had me play a, a, a main character in it and uh, he was pitching that to me I, apparently he's been a fan of mine for many years i sent him the song because that's what i was working on next he loved it and we decided let's work on this together it we worked on it for five months but i don't know how many of my videos you've seen but if if you saw the video finger bang your day that cost me about three thousand dollars to make 
That's because I also, I have a brilliant cinematographer I've been working with now for 15, 16 years. And mm. a lot of these videos are literally just me and my cinematographer because we do kind of everything. You know, it's like two guys who know how to do all the stuff. So you, if you went to one of our sets, you would just be like me and a dude with a camera. And sometimes we have an assistant or what have you and the actors. So we do really small. I can go fast and we can just shoot way quicker and, and more stuff than if I had a massive production. And did I hear that you've entered your videos in film festivals before, right? Yes. I I did this, the last four music, or the last uh, three music videos. And I have two more that I'll I'll enter into film festivals yet. And they've done all extremely well. It's been a lot of fun. I I just won the Holly Shorts uh, Film Festival for Best Music Video, which I'm I'm blown away because... You, I go to these festivals, and now we're in an age of an or, overcorrection. So it's a lot of this very woke. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I guess I don't identify as a man anymore. But someone would look at me and think I'm a straight white male that's pushing fifty. So the fact that I win anything and get in there, I feel like these videos must be amazing because they're not really because it's all the awards are going to the wokest of the woke uh, project. Hey, you have so a whole, I'm excited. You have a whole song celebrating a consensual, you know, I mean, that's yes. like that, that. That's that's super progressive, man. Like, of course, it's going to be celebrated so. by Hollywood. I hope so. It's 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 making fun of a lot of things. It's basically a creep who's adapted all of their terminology, but he's still a creep, even though he's got all the language down. <laughs> Yeah, that is. Have you ever been? Are you in Los Angeles? You ever been to Topanga Canyon? Like these these people exist. That character, I must have got a hundred messages from women. They're like, I actually know this person. I've encountered this person. <laughs> oh man, that is that that's wild. And I would have. We've had lots of musicians on the show who have created music video projects and rely on the music video medium as a way to promote their music, get more people going right. to music or just promoting the artist as promoting themselves as an artist. You're the first one I've talked to who almost sounds, it sounds to me without putting words in your mouth that you really do see the music video as the end product. Like you are trying to create these yes. amazing pieces of art that stand on their own. Cause you're the only musician I know that actually enters their music videos into film festivals. Like this right. is a film quality thing that you want the established film community to recognize on its merit. Yeah, I want I want people in the entertainment industry to see this that are filmmakers and be bummed out. I want them to be angry with me and be like, "Who the f is this person?" Yes, I've been out here for a long time. I, I I did a video that was very popular for me called "The Good Life." It's it's a very it's an amazing music video. It was uh, I got really skinny for it. the characters like a homeless meth addict crackhead and uh, people wouldn't know that it was me. They thought I went and casted a homeless person and a television executive would show it to people. This is years ago. Things have changed a little bit, but people couldn't understand that I uh, sang the song. I wrote the lyrics. I'm acting it and I'm directing it. She goes, look, she goes, people don't understand it. You're just too talented. And I'm like, do you remember Charlie Chapman? Do you remember him? He would write it. He would direct it. He would act, you know what I mean? But now it's kind of changed because of like TikTok and all these people. Everyone is now doing their own thing. So to me, and as anyone who's a creative person, it's a fight. You're in a literal fight to get stuff made, to get stuff done, to get people to see it. So I'm trying to win. That's all I want to do in life is I want to win. I want to make the best highest quality entertainment that's hilarious i want to make the most brilliant satire as far as my genre genre of music videos the world's ever seen if you're well, going to do it man you got to go for it i i cannot think of more profound advice to impart to the viewers and listeners yeah. checking this like, out like who, take big who, swings who's listening who's listening to me and me like that's what i got to do no but if you're going to do something you want to be the best right i mean why wouldn't you like you're wasting anyone's time so i'm trying to make the greatest music video the world's ever seen. That's my goal in life. I love it. I, I the greatest dig song, that. The greatest video. Well, and, and that's the thing, because it's not just the videos, right? It's your songs, too. I, I think the songs are really well produced. And uh, Lee Miles, I worked with Lee Miles. I got to say these guys' names because they they, they they get upset if I don't. Lee Miles, brilliant music producer. Uh, he helps write the songs with me. 
I write probably 98% of the lyrics. He gets a few in. That's okay. But he, if without him, I wouldn't get it made, okay? He also knows how to make me sound amazing recording my vocals. I have a, 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 a vocal coach in Los Angeles who's, who's brilliant. Her name is Anastasia, and none of this would be possible without her. And the my my mic my is is my uh, my co uh, conspirator brilliant genius is my DP John Orphan who is like my Keith Richards, he's me and him have been doing this for a long time. I I met him. I made a music video for the band Chevelle. I made two of them, and oh, it was really? called I Get It. And it was very it it premiered on on MTV Two. I was told it was one of the most played music videos that year. I got to make a follow up music video, and that's where I met John Orphan. I ran into him randomly on the street. We talked uh, about, we went out to eat at four hours about life. And at the end I showed him uh, the music video I made and uh, he was like, I'm going to shoot all your stuff. So that's how all that happened. Uh, as far as those, those characters in my life and why they're so good is because there's a lot of people in, in Hollywood that work on all these terrible commercial things and they want to do something that's fun they want to do something that's cool. And all the people that have worked with me have told me that they've gotten so much work from our projects. And, the, and these people are working on sometimes discounted rates. Sometimes they're doing it for nothing, half the what they would normally get paid or a fraction of that. But it ends up getting them all sorts of work. So people, I've always had people like, how do you get these actors and stuff to be in it? And I'm like, most of them all have pitched me to be in the videos, you know. And I like using really talented people that aren't super famous so you can go into these worlds and they it's more realistic. That makes sense. That's what I'm into. I and that definitely comes across in the videos that you're putting together because because you know, it's not one of these things where you're putting a lot of money in the production design and then your actors aren't up to the skill of the budget. Like you have you have no. great actors in your video that that get sort of what you're doing satirically and things like that. I'm with you. That's terrific. Well, you let know me, the best me... thing about them all is yeah. everyone there is excited to be there. Everyone's having fun. There, it's like it's like a bunch of kids screwing around, and that's what makes it work. And that's... I don't want no. I won't have anybody on there. If there's any weirdness at all before we do it, then I get somebody else. Like people are there to do something awesome, and we're going out and killing it, and we do it. It's the best kind of creative environment when you have people that right? you know where, where where you're goofing around, where everybody's having a good time. That's where the creativity comes and blooms. So I'm with you on that. I've always wanted to ask somebody who makes comedic or satirical vid, uh, songs this question. And is the audio production process, is the songwriting process different in the comedy or satire field than if you were making, say, traditional rock or pop music? This is a really good question. I'm going to start work. I'm not going to say his name, but I'm going to work, be working with one of the top music producers uh, in the in the world. Uh, he's a fan of mine. He told me, I told us to... Uh, um, a girlfriend and she was like she didn't maybe understand at first but i go what i'm doing is more challenging than the music you're listening to because you're more just writing a story it's, it's more difficult actually to make something that's funny and satire is the highest form of humor and he told me the he told me he goes look what you're doing is like three-dimensional doing like a pop song or whatever it's like a one-dimensional maybe two-dimensional so i'm going to dumb myself down and I want to hopefully become one of the most prolific songwriters ever so I control the entire world with some of the most horrific uh, pop songs they've ever heard. Because I've literally I've been in I've been in a casino, I've been in an elevator and I'm listening to this song as if like a like a 12 year old was the DJ. And this is what the world wants. And I think I think of, you know, a 12 year old could write these songs. I mean, it's not they're not that sophisticated. So hopefully that'll evolve into me trolling the planet with some of the, the most amazing pop songs you've ever heard. I have never met a creator <laughs> who is more fueled by unbridled contempt for their industry. I just, look, you, I, I'm at that point. I'm at that point now. I just think it's funny. Well, I've had some fun. It's a powerful motivator, you know, <laughs> that dude, people have built empires on it and I'm trying to embrace it. <laughs> I've had, it's listen, true. I will put out a video. I will have celebrities message me how it's one of the, this one's your best. And I'll ask them, I go, will you share it with your audience? Will you tweet it? Will you do this? Will you do that? The same response every time they disappear. So yes, hmm. I have contempt. I have a lot. 
I'm at I'm at war. Forget that guy in Ukraine. I'm in the real war. I'm in the the, <laughs> the, 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 the creative war to make uh, great stuff for people to to enjoy. Opposed to all this terrible stuff that they're watching. They're watching like the I don't even these reality shows. The the Bachelor. I don't even know what people watch, but it's all bad. Man, I kind of don't want to get on your bad side now, just because I, I would hate for your next project to be some like anti-music industry <laughs> podcast thing, and then like you're playing me in a video, no. and oh, no. I am actually, I actually, if I was not doing what I do, I could have a business as a professional troll destroying people. It would be, it'd be, I would never do that. I, I'm actually a very decent, lovely person, unless. You mess with me, I will mirror you back to yourself, which is one of my favorite things to do. Oh my god! I've been doing that my whole life. That's that is that is a frightening prospect. But I um, I am a champion of people. I love kindred spirits. I don't have any like real enemies. I do have some frenemies, which I love. That that uh, is why I kind of like. I wouldn't go to any of these film festivals. For example, my sister's husband is weirdly competitive with me. So I specifically go to these film festivals if I can just to get a photograph on the step and repeat to post it on my Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff because I know it bothers him. And you tag him in there? No, I don't tag him in there. But <laughs> like he came to visit with my nieces and nephews and uh, they were asking or my nieces. I'm sorry. They asked to hear what my next song was and I play it for him. And then he asked he starts talking over it. And asked my girlfriend about a painting in her house. And I was like, oh, this is the most brilliant. I love it. It's like the most brilliant passive aggressive thing I've ever seen. Talking over why they're trying to listen to the song. And I was like, God, I love this. That So that fuels me. Yes. This is what I'm into. Oh, God. I don't know why. I, I'm, I was, I'm like, I'm on your team. I'm, I'm, you're the father of my sister's kids. I'm here to support you. I don't know. You can find out more about our guests' hilarious, incisive, and spite-fueled work by visiting Jeff. I gotta be interested. I gotta be nuts on these things, or no one's gonna check it out. (laughs) Oh my god! Well, uh, mission accomplished. I can assure you, Uh, Jeff. This has been illuminating, and uh, I've very much enjoyed this conversation. One last question before we let you go, and I, I'm a little—I gotta say—I'm a little apprehensive to pose our final question to you because I have no idea where you're going to take this. But do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, Boy, it's a weird time. I think I would get, if you're, I would get an OnlyFans page and do songs while you're actively uh, having sex with someone that's important. (laughs) I think that's the only way you make it. And you got to do something that's going to work. What I don't know. I'm not even successful myself. Like, what do I know? If I had the answers, I would probably be doing it. And I would do that, but no one wants to see me having sex, for God's sakes. Lauren, did I not say I was afraid to ask this question? (laughs) Oh, Ryan. You you set that up. I had to give a good answer, right? I was waiting. Like, I I was taking the time. I was like, man... I'm waiting for the reference. It's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming. <laughs> and, and now La- I just made the reference by saying that. So I'll yeah, I like that. that. And Lauren, who <laughs> sees that I'm clearly drowning, is of no help because she's too busy laughing, laughing her ass backstage. off at my misfortune like, in the awesome. green room. Yeah, sure. See, Jeff, whereas you are filled by spite and contempt for your industry, my sister producer right. Lauren is fueled by me being uncomfortable. <gasps> I love so- it. Well, listen, no, just I good would content have... in general. Good content. It could be. Right. It could be and me being uncomfortable is always good content. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have spite if I was. If I was given love, I've just been rejected oh. over and over again. So instead of me pandering to them, my message to them is: Go fuck yourself. I'm going to do stuff better than you'd ever dream of. How you like them apples? Can you swear we're on your just, show? I'm, I'm really going sorry. to create. I mean, no, Delete. but we're we're over an hour in at this point. Um, no, yeah, that's. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we we usually can get away with one, but you burned your one about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> you can again safe. find out more by visiting. And by the way, when people check out your content, like f bombs are the least of what can what, what no. you do. Like, it's good stuff. Oh, for yeah. sure. 
Again, find out more Let's by visiting jeffhillier.tv. We love you, Jeff. So be Thank fueled you. by our love. Yes. If, if I really you... appreciate you having me. Oh, you should see right now I'm in a film. I, I'm starring in a film called Traveling Light that's in the AMC theaters. Uh, it's directed by Bernard Rose, who did uh, Immortal Beloved, uh, Candyman. It stars Tony Todd, who's brilliant, Danny Houston, Stephen Dorr, uh, Matthew Jacobs. There's a It's an amazing cast. We shot it over the pandemic. It was uh, it came out at Beyond Fest. The guy who was the, the coordinator of the whole film festival said it's the best film you'll, that was made that year. Uh, it's a great film to see. It's it's something you should check out. That's it's wonderful. A dark satire. Awesome. Congratulations uh, on that for sure. Thank you. Right on, Jeff. In, Jeff. It's an independent film, okay? Not All a right. studio film. Yay! So we 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 are rightfully celebrating it. Jeff, thanks so much for being on this week. Thanks for having me. Really all right. And thank you all for uh, checking out Break the Business. Our guest next week is going to be Lawrence Perrier, the chief commercial officer of music tech ticketing technology platform Light. Um, I am and sure that interview guests. will be just as controversial as uh, the one we just did. <laughs> and uh, yes, Mike Ryan Ruiz from the Levitar Show will also mm-hmm. be joining us next week for a drop in. It's going to be great. It's going to be I'm great. I'm excited. This I one was fun. Already. Next week's going to be fun. Lauren, thanks to you for uh uh, producing this week and our thanks to Jeff Hilliard and Bill Down Upright Bolden for joining us. Thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. See you next week.